You know who an optometrist is, don't you? He's a person who checks out your eyes. One optometrist had a sign outside his practice or his shop or his business. It was really quite good. It said, you can't be optimistic if you've got misty optics. <laughs> Just think, now, folks, think about it for a minute, okay? You can't be what? Optimistic if you got misty optics. In other words, you can't be optimistic if you don't see clearly. That's the problem with most folks. They don't see clearly. We're going to talk about it today and how you can be optimistic in spite of financial problems. The topic today is a great topic. Four great truths for hurting people when times are tough. Stay with us today. But would you please welcome my wife, Beverly Lynette Carter, who's going to come and talk to us. A friend waiting in a doctor's waiting room was reading some of the informative posters that they'd placed on the wall. And one stood out in particular, she happened to be expecting her first child, and this poster said, the first two minutes of life are very critical. And some joker had scribbled underneath, the last two are pretty dicey as well. <laughs> and I said to her, well, the next time you go, perhaps you could scribble underneath what comes in between can also be very challenging. Some of the greatest examples of courage, and you know courage, I think it, life should be spelt C-O-U-R-A-G-E, courage, don't you? Because we often need it as we travel our life's journey. In the Bible, in the New Testament, we, most of us know of the story of Daniel and his three friends. They were thrust into a pagan society entirely alien to their background and beliefs. We today face an increasingly similar world. Daniel and his three friends withstood the tests of their faith because they had decided in their youth that their top priority was not to be rich and famous, but rather to be faithful to their God. Then we come to the New Testament, and there's no better example of courage than the Apostle Paul. Let's look at some words from his letter to the Philippians. Now, some years ago when we were living in Texas, I was home by myself and I was feeling a little discouraged. I can't even remember what it was about. But anyway, I went into the bathroom. Now, if you don't know Texas, the homes in Texas have huge bathrooms, and they're very nice too. So for some reason, I went into the bathroom, shut the door, and I read through the letter to the Philippians, only four verses, so it didn't take long. And after reading it out loud, I was greatly encouraged. Now this letter was written by Paul in prison, and so we could think, you know, he would be discouraged. But no, this book is full of hope and joy. I'm just going to pick out a few gems. As I said, he was in prison. Paul's world was continually challenging. And yet he says in chapter four, 
I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, how many people or contented people do you know? Are you and I content? Or are we discontented? Are we always chasing things? Are we full of anxiety over world events? And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be concerned over things, but not to the point where we're discontented, which leads to discouragement. Well, let's look at Paul's secret weapon against discontentment. It's found in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, that I may know him. In another verse, he talks about knowing Christ my Lord, not just gathering information about him, but he actually knew him. And the better he got to know him, the more he loved him. He goes on to say, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in him as our creator, our redeemer. Rejoice in the hope of the second coming. Rejoice in his promise that he will never, never leave us. In other words, praise him for what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do in the future. If you're watching this telecast as a new Christian, or you're a young Christian here at, in our church, I would encourage you to read Philippians and Ephesians out loud because they hold the best prescription for peace of mind and encouragement that I know. And in Paul's words, may God's grace and peace be with you today and always. topic today is four great truths for hurting people when times are tough. I've never, during 25 years here in the United States, seen so many angry Americans. When I was over in Australia not long ago, I'd never seen so many angry Australians. People seem to be mad. People are angry with the government. Californians are angry with Sacramento. And some are even angry with the governor. Republicans are angry with the Democrats. And the Democrats are angry with the Republicans and the Independents are mad at everyone. There's a lot of anger going around, my friend. There's anger for everybody. Most folks are angry with the banks. Have you been angry with the banks? Most folks are hopping mad with the CEOs. These guys, even though we're in a great recession, paid themselves millions and millions and millions of these fat bonuses. The jury and the judge were so mad with Madoff, they were so mad with Madoff. Got a nice ring to it, folks, doesn't it? So mad with Madoff that they threw him into prison. How, how long was it? 150 years. He's going to be 250 when he gets out. He'll be really mad when he gets out. 
<laughs> People are mad with the healthcare system because this is the wealthiest nation on the face of the earth and there are tens of millions of people who've got no health care at all and lots of other folks are as mad as hornets that they're going to have to pay the bills. Many folks are mad at the fiscal irresponsibility that has produced the largest deficit in the history of the human race. Now some guy will get up in Washington and say, well, we're just going to spend another $2 trillion. Next year, another $2 trillion. Soon it's going to be $30 trillion. But lots of people are mad about the deficit. People here in Southern California, lots of them are mad at the illegals. They say, we've got a billion illegals here. And many of the illegals are angry with the legals. There doesn't seem to be any shortage of anger in America. Listen to this. It is a fact, not a promise. It is a fact. Let me write this up on the blackboard. Anger. Anger causes, do you know what it causes? It causes depression. This is very, very hard for depressed people to admit. Now, there are other reasons for depression, but the main cause for depression is anger. If you don't deal with your anger, it turns inside you and makes you depressed. And depressed people are unhappy, miserable people. That is why there are so many millions and millions and millions of people popping pills in America, Australia, and the Russians are catching on. Because anger, unless you deal with it properly, the Bible says be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down in your wrath. The Bible tells me, doctors confirm it, that anger is the main cause of depression. Our topic, here it is, four great truths for hurting depressed, sad people when times are tough. The theme text is John chapter 10 and verse 10. Please take your Bibles. This is a Bible reading, Bible believing church. Are you glad you're in church here today, I ask you? Yeah, I'm glad to be here in church. In fact, I'm glad to be anywhere. But I'm glad to be here in this great church. And if you're in the neighborhood, come see us. If you live here in Southern California, come see us, 100 West Duarte Road, Arcadia, California. This is a great Bible reading church. Now, let me get to this text, the words of Jesus, John chapter 10 and verse 10. Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. Say it with me. Come on. I have come that they may have, come on, have life and have it to the full. The beautiful King James Version that I love with all my heart says, 
that they may have, it, have life and have it, you know what it says? More abundantly. But you can't have abundant life if you are depressed because you're so angry. And so today, the topic is four great, marvelous, upbeat, saving truths for hurting people in times of stress, when times are tough. Here is the first great truth. Here it comes. God loves me and I am not alone. This is so important, so good. I'm going to write it up here on the blackboard. I'm going to put this up here. God, say it with me. God loves me and I am not alone. God loves me and I am not alone. If you're struggling, sometimes you feel desperately alone. I have felt alone. That's because I've forgotten the great truth that God loves me and I'm not alone. I want you to come over here to the story of a great man who felt alone. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 44 and 45 and then down to chapter 19 and onwards. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain came on, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. Notice this word, Ahab, this man. The power of the Lord came upon Elijah, and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel, because he had the power of the Spirit of God resting upon him. Chapter 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. In other words, I'm going to kill you. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Have you ever prayed that you might die? I've had enough, Lord, he said. Have you ever said that? I've had enough, Lord. I've said that. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. Nervous exhaustion. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He didn't preach to him. He gave him something to eat. He looked around and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Harb, the mountain of God, down to Mount Sinai. Then he went into a cave and spent the night feeling black inside, depressed. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, 
I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken your altars, and put your prophets to the sword. Put them to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me also. Look, in the midst of his despair, when times were tough, God called him by name because we are never alone because God loves us. And then God had a little talk with the prophet. And if you notice verse 18, he told him something. Elijah said, I'm the only person left. The rest in the church have all apostatized. He said, verse 18, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and all whose mouths have not kissed him. Listen, my hurting friend. Listen, my angry, depressed friend. God said to his servant, the prophet, who felt that he wanted to die, he said, actually, it's 7,000 times better than what you think. He said, it may not look good, but it's 7,000 times better than appearances. I want you to know this, my friend, God loves me and he loves you and I am not alone and it is 7,000 times better than what we can imagine. People sometimes even come to us because some people haven't got it yet and they've come to us and they say, um, you go to Russia, why do you really go to Russia? You've just come back from this great campaign in Volgograd. Uh, why do you go? If I could sum it up, my friend, let me tell you what it is. We go to Russia to tell people, God loves me. And I am not alone. We take with us a team of professionals and a team of volunteers. We've taken to these countries, these faraway places over the years, many hundreds of people. And a person whom we all appreciate and love in this church is Javier Pirino.
And I want you today to make Javier feel that he's wanted in this church. Would you please welcome my old friend, Javier P. Rhino. Javier, I'm glad to see you. And I, and I want to give you our, the warmest welcome. I can remember when you used to work for Delta Airlines and we used to fly Delta because we love to fly and it shows. How many times have you been with us overseas? I think it's 16 times if I'm not mistaken. 16 times. Can you think of some of the places? Well, in Ukraine, we went to St. Petersburg for the campaign. Uh, before the campaign, I went with you also to set up for the campaign. Then we went to Kharkov, Nevopetrovsk, Zaporozhye, Odessa, and in Russia, um, Nizhny was the first time we went to Russia. Uh, then we went to uh, uh, Moscow also. Then we went to uh, Kazan, Volgograd this year, Irkutsk, and... Um, and once we traveled on the Mongolian Express and we went right through China. Uh, tell me this, because uh, I want the people to hear it from your lips. Why do you go? Because the people need the, the word of God and they need the gospel. It's basically what it is. You heard the gospel when? In 1990, I think it was in the uh, Shrine Auditorium when you were preaching the gospel, the everlasting gospel in the auditorium in Los Angeles. You came with us and you've just come back and we're all feeling slightly still jet lagged. Tell us about some of the people that you met in the great city of Volgograd, which was once called Stalingrad. He was a little, a little guy, 14 years old, his name is Igor. That uh, he came just uh, to look at us while we were at, um, assembled the whole system and he helped us every day and he became uh, basically the engineer of the lighting and uh, without one word of English, I, would, I used to be a translator and then from me to him and, and him to the, uh, the spots operators. Most folks have got no idea what these campaigns are like. They're really like a big Billy Graham campaign. Tell us what the setup is like with a tiny crew. Well, it was hard because uh, the temperature was, I think, uh, was about over 100 and there was no air conditioning and there's nothing available. As a matter of fact, uh, Daniel told us that he needed some air conditionings because uh, one of the um, projectors quit on him and he was worried about the other ones going to do the same during the campaign. So we ended up going um, buying to the big market. If you remember the Europa market, uh, we bought three air conditionings and we put them in the back of the uh, projectors. You've been back now for a week or so. You've got many images, Javier, in your mind. What is still right now your overwhelming impression of what happened over there in Volgograd, in this great Russian city? The commitment of the people coming to the meetings and also the great baptismal, the first baptismal that we went through, and uh, it was incredible. It was something that uh, I never imagined uh, being the city, the richest city that we were so wrong in thinking that those people were poor. The other thing is also that, uh, the, like I said, the commitment of the people coming in in an auditorium of 105, humidity probably 120, and sit down and listen to you for, for 45 minutes or 50 minutes every day and give them their lives to Christ. Javier, you are a blessing to this church and to this ministry. And on behalf of the Carter Report, I want to thank you for what you do. God bless you, Javier. God bless you.
I want you to look at the blackboard again. God loves us, and we are never alone. I can remember many years ago traveling through Iran. Went down to the south of Iran to a place by the name of Abadan. Then crossed over the river Euphrates in a little dinghy, a little rowboat, and climbed up the muddy shore and went to the town of Basra that has seen some terrible fighting. And I was there with two young men. We were young men in those days. And in this Arab city, we sensed a hostility. It was late in the day, and we had nowhere to stay. And I can remember, because I was the leader of the group, getting the group together. And there on the main street of Basra, we prayed to the Lord God Almighty. I said, Lord, we got nowhere to go. We got nowhere to stay, and night is coming on. Three men dressed in white robes. They were Arabs, Muslims. They came up to us and impeccable English said, can we help you? We said, we got nowhere to stay. They said, you can't stay on the street because it's dangerous. They took us to the only place in the city of Basra where it was safe for foreigners to stay. God answered prayer like that, just like that. God loves us and we are never alone. Years ago, I was in Africa for a big campaign in Harare, Zimbabwe. I was invited out to talk on a television station. And so I went out to speak on this television station. But when I got there, things had been changed completely. It was a setup to do us great damage. And the manager of the station was a former terrorist. And this was his opportunity. And when he told me the conditions of going on television, I said, I can't do this. This is going to inflame this country. Because this was a campaign that was known all over that part of the world. I said, I'm not going to go on and engage in attacking any religion. Well, he said, we want you to. I said, no, I'm not going to do it. So he became enraged. I can still see him in his Peugeot car. He called a bunch of soldiers. And I was marched down a bush track as the sun was going down in Arari, Zimbabwe, with guns, the business end, pointing to me, surrounded by Zimbabwean soldiers with submachine guns. Did I feel frightened? Not a bit. Because I believed that God loved me and we're never alone. And this man followed along in the Peugeot cursing and swearing at me. Then he turned his car around, leaving my fate in the hands of these 20 soldiers. And as we went down this jungle pathway and could no longer hurt him, could no longer hear him. All of a sudden, the soldiers put down their guns and they said, Pastor Carter, we come to your meetings. <laughs> and they said, we're sorry he's treated you like this. We're going to take you down to a military base and we're going to get you to the auditorium on time. I had a sense that I was not alone because God loves me. I want every person here in this church today to say it and to believe it. God loves me.
and I'm not alone. And it is the truth. And when you believe this, you can have life to the full. The second great truth is this. This is one of the most wonderful truths. God has a plan for me. God has a plan for me. Do you think that we are here today simply because of happen chance? God has a plan for every one of us. We're going to turn over here to Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5. I want you to turn to this wonderful Old Testament text. I've read this text so many times. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Our sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. I want you to think about this. Look at me. Before you were formed in the womb, God saw you and had a plan for you. The greatest sorrow is when God has a plan for us and we don't fulfill it. But God loves me, I'm never alone, and God has a plan for every life. Come to Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that every person here will know by heart. Paul says, and he had tough times. He knew what it was to fight the devil and everybody else. He said, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according, finish it with me. God has a purpose for you. Now we have a congregation that is often renewed with new people coming. We're glad about this. But new people who come into this church often don't know the history of this church. We haven't always had this building. We shouldn't have this building. We can't afford this building. We worshipped over in Glendale in a rented facility, the UCC, the United Community Church, for 10 years. And things were not getting good for us. And I can remember saying, God, please help us. We had no money because we'd put our money into Russian evangelism. We didn't have a building fund except to build churches in Russia. And one day, a flyer came to my desk and it said there was a church for sale in Pasadena. I went over to Pasadena, not with a lot of hope, because I had no money. And when the realtor came, he said, oops, I forgot to bring the key. He said, come back tomorrow. I said, I can't come back tomorrow, I don't have time. Oh, he said, look, there is a place for sale in Arcadia but you wouldn't be interested, would you? I said, no, because it's another 15 miles to drive on top of 45 miles already. I said, no, 
But I said, let's go look. And he brought us here. I said, how much money do we need for a deposit? He said, $1.1 million. He said, will that be a problem? You know what I said? No, it won't be. Then we went on a great fundraising campaign. My friends know the story, but some of you don't know the story. Have you ever tried to pay all the bills and raise 1.1 million in a few weeks? But the money was coming in. I'd never seen the mail, so much mail. The people across America, the most generous people on the face of the earth, were sending money. $100, $1,000, one man sent $200,000. But we still had to get a loan for a vast sum of money. We got a bank. We won't tell you what it is unless you come and see me after, then I'll give you a warning. But this bank specialized in church loans. They told me, Everything is settled. I went to Russia for a campaign, came back, and the bank, without a word, had sent back our application and would not even talk to us. And was closing. The sale was closing in two weeks. Then a man came to see me from Banco Popular. A man from Canada. Ken Westby, he stood there with me in this church and he said, this is my card. I took his card. It was the seat ticket to a great evangelistic campaign. He said, that's where I found Christ. And he said, I want to hear Christ preach in this church. He said, you need these millions, and in two weeks, he said, it is an utter impossibility, but we'll do it. And the bank did it. Can you see why we do what we do? God loves me, I'm not alone, and God has a plan for me. God leads us in three ways. Listen carefully. He leads us through scripture. He never asks me to do anything that is not according to scripture. He leads by providence, by opening doors and by closing doors. He leads by the counsel of godly, wise people. There are not many like that. Don't just listen to anybody. And he leads by the deep convictions of the Holy Spirit. I warn you today, do not get that order of priorities wrong because there are millions of people who say, well, God has led me in this. No, he hasn't led you at all. And they say, but the Lord has told me. No, you're simply listening to your own desires. Number one, and some of you here today may be in the wrong job because you're not listening to God. He leads me through scripture by opening doors and by closing doors, by the counsel of godly people people and through the conviction of the Holy Spirit and if you let God lead you he will lead you here is the third great truth here it is for hurting people who want to find hope God will forgive my sins if I humbly confess and forsake them
Let me write this up here on the blackboard. So these truths will go down into the molecules of your mind. God will forgive my sins. And there is an if. If I humbly confess them and forsake them. And when a person has his sins forgiven, then he has a wonderful peace. I want to talk to you now about the most wicked man who ever lived. I want you to come over here to 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25 and onwards. The most wicked man who ever lived. There was never a man like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He was a crook. Urged on by Jezebel, his wife. Behind every good man, there is a good woman. And usually, behind every evil man, usually, there is an evil woman. And Jezebel was as bad as you can get. Verse 26, he behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, the words of the prophet, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in his day. This is staggering. Do you ever give up on people? I feel like it on occasion. So that person is a complete flake. Doesn't get better, just seems to get worse. Do you ever give up on yourself? Is there someone sitting here today and you know yourself? Two people know you, yourself and the Lord. He knows a million times more about you. And you feel, I'm just a rotten person. Nobody knows it. My wife doesn't know how rotten I am, but I'm a rotten person. There is no person too rotten for God. And if I come to Christ, God will willingly forgive my sins if I humbly confess them and forsake them. Look at me. You and I can face anything if we know that our sins are forgiven. There's nothing that gnaws at the heart of a man or a woman more than the cancer of sin. But God will forgive my sin. Not if I just put up my hand in a meeting. No, no, no. Sometimes people get it wrong. But if I humbly confess my sins to the people I have sinned against and repent of my sins to God, God will take away my sin. And then I can start to live life to the full. Here it is, my friend. The fourth 
great truth for hurting, lonely, lost men and women during times of toughness. Here's the fourth truth. God has prepared a wonderful future for you and for me. Let me write it up here on the blackboard. And this is why in this church we have so much hope. God has prepared a wonderful future. He has prepared a heaven for me. You think one day being with Jesus in paradise and living for eternity and know that it doesn't get any better and it goes on for billions of years. That is one of the great antidotes to anger and depression that we can have hope. God has prepared a wonderful, wonderful future. Would you come over here to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? How tragic that some people give it up and they go back to the world with all its sin and they miss out on glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4 verses 7 down to 9. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's these bodies. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed. Perplexed but not in despair. Persecuted but not abandoned. Struck down but not destroyed. You think you've had a tough? Look at me. None of us here have had it tough. Not in comparison. Has anybody here been beaten with rods 39 times over and over? Uh, Paul said, we're beaten up. We're not cast down. Verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Now this next verse, a bit hard to believe. For our light, getting beaten up, being flogged, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I want to say to the television audience, listen to me, God is preparing for his beat-up children a wonderful future. The Bible talks about an eternal weight of glory, so we do not lose heart. In this church, we have many wonderful people. And two of the most wonderful people that I've known, because there's, I've known them for years, and they're close to me, and I love them to death, um, Donna and Blake Wexler. And I want Donna to come first. Mm. We're all going through a tough time economically. 
how do you personally, Donna, cope when times are tough? Three circumstances come to my mind when I think of tough times. And in all three, I was challenged spiritually and emotionally. They all require that I make a decision that would change my life. In one circumstance, I had loved ones advising me um, to go against God's principles. And in another, um, I had, it was my own attitude and feelings that clashed with God's will. And then in the third, it was as if I was alone. I felt as if God was silent for a time. I spent a lot of time in prayer, um, crying to God that he would uh, give me comfort and strength and wisdom, but most of all that his uh, purpose would be in my heart and not my own. Um, it was a process. Uh, there was not an overnight solution, but I had to fortify myself in God's word, um, not just reading it daily, but at times it seemed like moment by moment. Um, in time, God resolved all situations um, above and beyond my expectation and what I could ever hope for. And it was really through his word um, and through prayer that, uh, and the Holy Spirit. Donna, you're a very beautiful lady, and we're proud of you. You have two beautiful children and a fine husband. Uh, there's Sydney and there's also Benjamin. Not doing too bad, am I? <laughs> Uh, so, Donna, we love you and thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. A man with a Jewish background is now going to come. That's Donna's husband, Blake Wexler. And I had the privilege of baptizing Blake. Goodness me, you're dressed up today. I think you're trying to upstage me today. Always. <laughs> uh, Blake. Uh, how do you cope? How do you keep going when times are tough? You know, I don't deal with stress well. Uh, financial challenges uh, don't sit well with me, as you may imagine. And I just have no idea what you're talking about. No. Uh, yeah, I have a wonderful support system. I have a great family. My wife is a wonderful Christian. She keeps me accountable. She comforts me. But my comfort really does come from the Lord. It hasn't been easy. I've had to uh, grow in that knowledge, and I have a lot of adversity with my family and with my friends. And I think of the story of the man who looked at his life as footsteps in the sand. And he looked at the point of his life when he was in the most turmoil, and he asked the Lord, I only see one set of footsteps. Where were you, Lord? And the Lord responded, it was then that I was carrying you. And I remember that, and I know that he carries me at the times when I'm in the most turmoil, and he can carry all of us. Blake, we're proud to have you as a member of this church. God bless you, Blake. Thank you. Thank you. So what we're going to do now is just have a little summary, because I like teaching, you know. Here's the first point. Okay, help me out. Just tell me what is this? Well, you can all read you don't need to help me out. Number one, four great truths. Say it with me. God loves me. I'm not alone. God is with me. I'm not lonely. He's with me. Number two, God has. God has a plan for my life. Are you discovering God's plan or are you going with your own plan?
but God saw me before I was born. He saw me a billion years ago. And I'm here today because I've been obedient to the plan of God. God has a plan for me. And number three, say it. God will forgive my sin if I humbly confess and yeah, if I confess my sins, repent of my sins, and forsake my sins, then God will just take away my sins. And number four, God has prepared a wonderful future for me. My friend, uh, if this truth comes down into your soul, you will be able to cope with anything. And just think, please think about it. Use a sanctified imagination. One day we will be home when all my trials, everything, they're all gone. And I am safe on that beautiful shore just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be, what does it say? Glory for me. Would you please, please affirm, Pastor J.P. O'Connor, my dear, dear friend. And trials are o'er And I am safe on that beautiful shore Just to be near the dear Lord I adore Will through the ages be glory for me of his infinite grace I am accorded in heaven a place just to be there and to look on his face will through the ages be glory for me
and it will be. It'll be glory for all of us. Let us kneel as we pray. Well, here we are, Lord, on our knees in our church that you gave to us, that we couldn't afford, that you gave it to us just the same because the people of God had faith. We're looking forward to the day when by the gift of his infinite grace, when we're given this wonderful place in glory and we're going to look on his face and friends will be there we've known for so long and it's going to be glory, glory for me. Our Father, we pray that this poor, faltering talk today will be translated into flesh and bones. May we in our heart of hearts know that God loves us and we are never alone. May we know in our heart of hearts today that God has a plan for every one of us. Open our ears to hear your voice. Direct our feet into your plan. Our Father, teach us to know today that however desperate we are as sinners, and even though we may be full of pride and lying and cheating and cowardice and everything else, even if there's an Ahab here today or a Jezebel, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound, and may we today find the forgiveness that God wants to give us. And dear Father, light up our hearts today with glory, a beautiful, wonderful, rich, meaningful, splendid future with Jesus. As we're praying here in church today, shall we raise our hands and say, God, I want to take hold of these four great truths. I want you to write them upon the tablets of my heart today. If you can say that, would you raise your hand and pray today? Lord, write it on my heart today. May I have a real experience today with Christ. We're not talking here about religion, religion, religion. We're talking about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Dear Father, bless these upraised hands and these upraised hearts. May none be missing when the glory song is sung in heaven. So we thank you, we worship you, we bless you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Yeah.
Child. 